It's a pleasure to be here today, to see you guys again, and to share God's word with you. If you have a Bible, please open to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, and we will read from verses 45 to 52. And immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all were, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they, were, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So it's exciting, as you guys are probably uh, experiencing, um, we are too in our church, we're studying the life of Jesus. And the interesting thing is that you guys are making your way through the book of Luke, as I noticed, I was looking through Jeremy's uh, sermon series, and we're making our way through the book of Mark, and the interesting thing is when when Pastor Jeremy asked me, hey, can you fill in for me Uh, at the end of September, I was like, well, I am preaching at my church that Sunday too, so... The only way that I can preach at your church is if I just preach the same sermon I'm going to be preaching at my church at your church. He's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. That's great. And the interesting thing is once I I was finishing up the preparation this week, I was like, oh, shoot, he's preaching through Luke. I hope I'm not preaching a a passage that literally he just preached on in in similar, like, overlap. And I looked, and and it's interesting because the passage, these events that Mark records, they, they happen approximately the same time as where you guys left off in your study in the book of Luke, chronologically. Uh, the interesting thing is that Luke, this is one of the main miracles that Luke doesn't record. So there's no overlap. It, it, it fits perfectly in your study of the life of Jesus uh, as we kind of overlap and share. But I think um, studying the life of Jesus, and I think in my church I sound like a broken record. Every, every Sunday when I get up, I'm like, it is so amazing, it's so encouraging and empowering to see the life of the Savior. Uh, I, personally, for me, it's the first time making my way through the book of Mark verse by verse. I've always been intimidated by the Gospels because interpretation of the Gospels is not as straightforward as, say, the epistles where the ideas are clearly spelled out. But as we are making our way through the Gospel of Mark with our church, it's just amazing to see the person of Jesus to see all the truths of the gospel, all the truths of the Christian faith come not just in idea form, but come alive in the stories. And I think that when we think about one of the biggest reasons why this is a huge encouragement and it it empowers our faith is is when we think about the reality of challenges and trials in our lives. Um, You know, as I was listening, you guys are praying for some people in your church who are going through difficulties you know, as Job says, as man is, as, as sparks fly up, man is born unto troubles. And that, that is as an aspect of life here in this world, that 
We endure difficulties. And when we look at the life of Jesus, one of the most powerful things we see is a visible picture of how the God of the Bible relates to our difficult moments. And in particular, today's story is, is kind of an, a really vivid experience of that. One of the most challenging questions that not only Christians can ask, but any philosophy, any idea, any religion, any religious system in the world, one of the most difficult questions that we can ever ask is, why is there pain and suffering? And if there is a God, what is his relationship to my pain and suffering? That is not an easy question to answer. It's not an easy question to answer just philosophically. It's not an easy question to process emotionally, right? But it's not a challenge only to Christianity. This is a, this is a central difficult challenge to any religious system. The beauty, though, in the Christian faith is that when we look at events like this, like this story, and when we look at the life of Jesus as a whole, we see that the Christian story presents to us a God unlike any other, specifically as he relates to our difficulties and our storms. So as we're looking at this story, one of the basic ideas that we're going to see is that in the middle of our difficulties and challenges, God is often working in ways that we are not even aware of. He is, he is uh, what I hoped for us to see is that he is a lot more present than we realize, and he is working more good in our lives than we realize through the most difficult challenges that we face. So let's see how Mark unpacks this story. The first thing that when we look at, when we see here is, obviously, we are jumping into the middle of, of a bigger story unfolding because at the end, if you noticed, he, he mentions that their hearts were hardened because they did not understand about the loaves. What is he talking about? Well, earlier, if we s just scan up on the page, we see that he had just fed, he had just performed one of the most famous miracles of Jesus' whole life, a miracle that all four Gospels record, the miracle of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish and feeding 5,000 or more people in the wilderness. So Mark is dropping us into the middle of a story here, and, and he moves here with, with uh, as we can see, he moves here with a, a, a quickness, an urgency, he says, and immediately he ushered his disciples to get into the boat. In, uh, in the Greek, it almost says he compelled. So, there's, there, so you, we, as we can imagine, this long day when Jesus is, and his disciples, they're surrounded by a crowd of people. It's been a challenging day. And as this amazing miracle has just been performed, it says um, they fed all these people and all who ate were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and the bread and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So, you know, theologians and historians predict if he says 5,000 men, it was close probably to 20,000 people if you're just counting the men as 5,000. So massive crowd, long day. And here Mark says, immediately Jesus ushered his disciples to get into the boat and leave. Why the urgency? Why is he trying to get them out of the scene really quickly? Well, first of all, there's a couple of things that we can point out as, as we kind of look at the big picture. First of all, we see that the disciples were very tired. We can see that if we scroll even higher and, and realize that they've had a very busy week, and the very reason that they ended up in the desert was because they were trying to get away from the crowds. They were trying to get away onto a little retreat with, each, uh, with Jesus and the disciples just to rest and be alone. And when they were coming to shore, the crowds 
followed and ran to the place where they were. So this has been an exhausting period. The other thing that we realize is that um, John gives us a unique glimpse at what happened at this miracle. Jesus fed all these people, and they were so amazed, so impressed, that they, Jesus, it says that Jesus perceived that they were about to take him by force and make him king. So there was a tension going on here that Mark doesn't fully record, but Mark records the tension of the speed. Let's get out of here. Let's move on. But the other reason that Mark seems to show us that Jesus is in a hurry was because the first thing that we want to see here is that Jesus is headed for a mountaintop retreat here. Jesus has a priority also for himself, an urgent need that he is pursuing. He, he sends them off on the boat, and for him, this is a very mo important moment, that he goes up on the mountaintop to pray. When you look at the, bo the book of Mark in general, it's interesting to note that Mark records Jesus praying three times. And, and in all those three times, there's a common theme. First of all, he was very tired and exhausted. Second of all, in all three events where Jesus is praying, he, he is surrounded by people that are misunderstanding his mission. So Jesus is, is in a challenging physically and spiritually taxing context. And second of all, he prays at night. All the times he prays at night. It's very interesting that the, for Jesus, these moments of prayer are not um, after he's gotten a nice full night's sleep, he's got his cup of coffee, the, 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 the light is shining, and now he makes time to pray. Jesus moves urgently through a very difficult and, and tiresome day and in and, and an evening time that was closing in fast, and he moves with urgency in his exhaustion to get to this place, to get alone, to get to the mountaintop, and to pray. So uh, before we move on in the story, the important thing to see here is the priority of prayer for Jesus, and particularly the role that it played in his life. Jesus needs to retreat to pray. And what's interesting is that Jesus values this moment of prayer and fellowship with the Father not as an accessory to boost his day, but as an essential need of survival in a tense and difficult time. He, he seems to value prayer way more than food, way more than rest, way more than sleep. You know, we, we live in a, in, a, in a culture that, you know, struggles with burnout and anxiety, and, and we, we, are tr we try to value proper, you know, lifestyle, uh, healthy lifestyle, and rest, and sleep, and and healthy food, and not to work ourselves to death. And all those priorities are very important because you can actually see that Jesus values those things too. Jesus wants to get away with his disciples. He wants to take care of their bodies, their physical well-being, for them to rest. But, but when, you, when you dig down to the very foundation of Jesus' heart, what is core, what is most important, what is the driving fuel of his existence, it is this. It is this moment on the mountain alone with the Father in prayer. So when we, when we evaluate ourselves and when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. And as he shows us himself, the, the, the revelation of God come into the world, he's also showing us the ideal life as we follow him, right? To Jesus, he realizes that this, this interaction, this moment 
of intimacy with the Father, this moment where I am pushing away everything else, this moment actually sustains me, my entire being, not just my, my spiritual component or my emotional component. For Jesus, prayer and fellowship with the Father is more important than sleep or food. It is his very survival. It is, it is the thing that keeps him focused on his mission here on earth in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of an intense schedule. So before we move on, and as we glimpse this picture of Jesus on the mountaintop in the middle of the night, praying through the night, we have to ask ourselves, what role does prayer play in my life? Do I see it as an accessory? Do I see it as a thing that boosts me spiritually, but essentially something that I can go a few days without and not feel any significant changes? Or do I realize the deeper reality of the fact that I am created to live in fellowship with my maker, that, that, that we are created to depend on him and we need him not just in, in, a, in an emotional, spiritual sense, our whole being, our bodies, our mind, we need to be living in fellowship with our creator, with our maker, with our father, who, who seeks, who desires that fellowship with us. What is the thing that moves you essentially? What is the thing that drives us at our very core being? Now, and the point here is not to guilt us. Oh man, you should read your Bible and pray more. That's not the point. Guilt never motivates us into the right things. The point here is perhaps to expose our hearts a little bit, to help us see ourselves clearly. When, when, when I am exhausted, when, I am, when I've been going hard all week, what is the essential priority for me? in those times when I'm spiritually exhausted? Is the essential priority my thoughts of um, a nap or a good night's sleep or a carton of french fries or an evening in front of the TV to unwind? Or is it my awareness of my need to be reconnected to my, my creator? My awareness of my need, my hunger to be still in the presence of God, to be reset, to be reconnected to him in my perspective, in my heart, and my emotions. Jesus needs that. He's, he prays through the night, and he needs prayer more than sleep. To him, man shall not live by bread alone. It's not just a, it's not just a, a nice statement. It's a reality. It's a fundamental reality to Jesus. And that night of prayer likely moves him. It's a large factor that moves him into the next scene here. So as he, as he is spending this time in prayer, he sees the disciples out at sea. And, and there's a lot of different theories about how, you know, how, you know, is, is he seeing them because he sees from the mountaintop? Well, it's dark, there's clouds, how could he possibly see them? If we're just reading a story about Jesus walking on water, it's probably not a stretch to say that Jesus could understand and see them miraculously. I mean, he could see them wherever they were. The point is to show that he is aware and he, he knows what they are doing. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the, for the wind was against them. So the interesting thing is that the thing which moves Jesus out of this scene and onto the next one, let's see if my um, clicker here, there we go. So what, what moves Jesus out of the comfort and restorative power of his fellowship with the Father is the fact that he sees the disciples 
in their difficulty, in, in their stress, in their straining against the waves, he sees that they are making headway painfully and he wants to come to them. So that's the other big thing that we want to see as he moves out of the situation. This night of prayer drives him to be aware of his need and his compassion and his love for his disciples and he has moved out of that to come to them. He sees them now, exhausted, rowing against the waves and the wind and he, and he cannot stay at a distance. He wants to move to them. Now, the essential thread here that we want to see here is also like Mark is picking up on an idea here in this story that is connected in the previous story and the one after, and that is Jesus' immense compassion for people around him. If, you, if we look up higher a little bit, I just mentioned that what he was trying to do in verse 30, they, this, the background story, the disciples had just come back from a whole week or whatever of ministering and preaching, and they were telling Jesus about all the miracles that they had performed, and he wanted to get away with them because he saw that they were so exhausted. He wanted to provide for them a time of rest and restor- restoration and, and to be with him. And the interesting thing is that that compassion then transitions as him and his disciples are pulling up to a desolate place on their boat and they're probably looking forward to a nice quiet time of fellowship, hanging out, maybe making fish by, by the sea and just spending time talking and resting. They see these massive crowds coming and, and maybe, maybe the reaction of the disciples wasn't quite what Jesus was. Maybe their reaction was kind of what our reaction would be when they're pulling up to a presumed vacation and they see Jesus giant crowds running to them and it's just like this pit in their stomach like wow more people why can't they just leave us alone for a little bit but jesus verse 34 when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he he is a savior through this whole story he's a savior who is moved by compassion when he sees the weakness and need of people around him he 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 can't stay away and even though he is praying and having this restorative powerful time with the father he sees the disciples in the wind and the waves and their need and he can't stay away he must come to them he must help he must come to their aid he wants to be present and that's a really important point here some of the most important moments of Jesus miracles his revelation of himself, his powerful most moments, they were moments when he is responding in love and compassion to the needs of the people around him. He is, he, he is so interconnected to them. He is so aware of them, and he is responding to them. And he wants to show them himself. He wants to give them his grace. He wants to show them his love. The interesting thing in this scene, though, is that he could have just said a word and calmed the sea, and then kept on praying. He, he could have just stayed where he was, but, but he sees them and he comes to them walking on the sea. So, so there's a desire in Jesus not just to help them, but to be personally present with them in their struggle. This is the heart of the Savior on display. He, he wants us to know, to experience his presence He wants us to know that he sees us in our difficulties, right? No matter where we are, no matter what we're dealing with and struggling, no matter how oblivious we might be to the love of God and the grace of God in our lives and the dark seasons of our lives, he sees you, he he knows you, he created you, and his heart moves with compassion for you in your difficulty. That is something you see in Jesus over and over. That's something you see here 
He sees them and he comes to them. He does not look on our suffering with indifference. He can't because he loves us. And his compassion compels him to love us and to come to us in our difficulties. Now, if we doubt that, which we often do, we are weak people, we doubt that he is present. In this moment, the disciples, all they were probably aware of was the, the giant waves, the wind, the rowing, they're soaking wet, they're exhausted, and they're just like, what in the world? Why did Jesus tell us to go on the boat? They have no awareness of the fact that he sees them, he's aware of their need, and he is coming. If we, and when we doubt that he sees us, and we, we doubt that he is coming for us, all we need to do is look at the cross. When we look at the gospel, at the very center of the whole Christian story, right, it is the cross, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ who came into this world, who suffered for us, who suffered to deliver us out of our greatest need in the moment where we weren't even aware that we needed him. He came to us, he came to rescue us in our deepest, most difficult problem, our guilt and sin before a holy God. And if he did not abandon us in such a time as that, he does not abandon us in everyday trials and our weekly difficulties that we face. He sees us, and we need to learn to see that. We need to be, learn to be aware of that in the midst of the swirling storms, that he is a savior who has deep compassion. And when we forget, we simply learn to look at the cross. We learn to look at what he has done when we didn't even know we needed him. He saved us before we came to him. But as the story moves here, we want to see how he comes. And here we get to kind of the very heart of the story. He came at the fourth watch of the night, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they were all seeing him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. I mean, the scene here is so... So epic. I mean, it's just, you can't imagine the drama here, right? These guys are, we have to remember the, the long story here. They are exhausted. They are beyond exhausted. It's been such a hard week and a long day, and now they're supposed to meet Jesus. And now on top of all this, they are rowing in a boat, and now the storm hits. And on top of everything, they're just, I mean, I can imagine they are at their last straw. These guys are exhausted, worn out, and just now battling waves and, and wind. And on top of that, I can imagine that moment where they're just like trying to get through the waves, and one of them just screams like, what is that? Like everybody just looks, and there's a man walking. And Mark records their astounding response. They, they, these, these, a, a boat full of men screaming because they are terrified. This also pushes against a common assumption that, oh, the people of the older times, they were all superstitious, they all believed in magical things, so that's why there's all these miracles in the Bible. Now we're so smart, we're enlightened, we know better. No, they, they were shocked, this is not normal. They are terrified to see a scene like this. And it says they thought he was a ghost. This is not normal experience for them, not something that is expected. Why, why does Jesus do this? I mean, he knew that he was going to freak them out. Like, there's a lot of different ways he could have gone about this without walking on water across the sea on a difficult moment for them, right? Why does he do this? Why, why, why does he choose this method 
to save them in their difficulty, a method that seems to us to backfire and scare them half to death. Well, I think the key is found in this little, curious little phrase here that Mark employs. He meant to pass them by. When we look at itself, it's kind of a, an odd phrase, and some, some commentators, they, they, they puzzle over it. What, what, what does he mean, he meant to pass them by? Like he's walking to them, but now he wants to pass them by. And different commentators come up with a bunch of silly uh, explanations. Oh, maybe he wanted to come around the boat and surprise them from the other side. Or It is a curious phrase, but, but we, we understand how it fits into the big picture when we zoom out and look at what is Mark doing on a bigger level here in this story. When you look at the whole story back verses, you know, verses verse 30 through 56, the whole context here, something that we realize is that this whole story is soaked with Old Testament imagery. And this is, this is a fact about Mark that, that makes you, it, it helps you understand your Bible a lot better if you simply understand this little side note that the New Testament writers, they are soaked in the imagery and the, the truths and the memories and the promises of the Old Testament. So, so one of the reasons why we as Christians are bored with our Bibles is we don't understand the interconnectedness of the Bible. When you look at this whole story, you realize it is just popping with Old Testament illusions, right? Think about it. The hungry, desperate crowds, miraculous feeding of bread of thousands in the wilderness, bread from heaven, so to speak, Jesus ascends to the mountaintop to be with God. Raging seas and a miraculous walking in the midst of the seas. Hopefully this is conjuring up some illusions, right? Obviously, it's very obvious that what Mark is doing here is he's connecting this story of Jesus working with the disciples in this moment to the broader redeeming work of God in the Old Testament, especially in the Exodus story. How God redeemed his people out of slavery and how God reveals himself as the sovereign Lord of all things. So the whole story is loaded with Old Testament imagery. When you see that, then in the midst of this story, loaded with the Exodus themes, Mark inserts this very interesting phrase, he was about to pass them by. He was about to pass them by. If we think back to that story, we realize that the very heart of that story is the story of Moses, right, and his desire to know God and his glory, and Moses spends all this time on the mountaintop, and after this whole time in the mountaintop with the glory of God being revealed to him, he says, God, show me your glory, and God tells Moses, no, I can't show you my glory fully because you will die, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you between two mountains, two cliffs, and I'm going to make my glory pass by you. And you will see the, the, the back of, of the glory of God. And, and you will witness God's glory and not perish. So it's very interesting how Mark uses this specific phrase as he's alluding to the whole story in trying to show us what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He means to pass them by. He means in the middle of this cr crazy day that they have seen, in the middle of this very difficult moment to pass them by, to show them his glory, to show them who he really is, to help them see and be amazed. Or perhaps also Mark is clearly thinking of Job chapter nine, 
where he says these words. Job says, God is wise and all-powerful. Who opposes him and has come out unharmed? He removes mountains without their knowledge. He overturns them in his anger. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the bear Orion and Pallades, the constellation of the southern sky. He does great and unsearchable things, words, wonders without numbers. If he passes me by, I wouldn't see him. If he went by, I couldn't recognize him. If he snatches something, who can stop him? Who can ask him, what are you doing? This is Job thinking out loud about the glory of God. And again, Job uses this curious phrase, if the Lord passed me by, I wouldn't be able to see him. His glory is way beyond my comprehension. God is so much greater than me. Jesus means to make this moment an especial especially powerful revelation of who he is. He is literally showing them a visible, physical experience of the full Old Testament promises of the, of the God who saved his people. And he does it in the midst of their most difficult moment. He, he wants to show them his glory. He wants to rescue them, not just by pulling them out of, this, of, storm, of the storm. He, he doesn't just rescue them by making everything easier He allows them to get into the storm so that he can enter it and show them his full glory and power over that storm. They could never know him as the Lord who tramples the seas unless they were in the middle of that sea or being overcome by it and being desperate for salvation. This is the particular kind of rescue that God works. He does not always change our circumstances, which is what we really crave. We crave in the middle of our difficulties for God to just change the circumstances. God enters the circumstances with us and changes our hearts and helps us to to see him, to see his glory. He, He allows difficult things to happen so that he can teach us what a redeemer he is. He allows those difficult things to happen so that he can teach us how present and how compassionate he is and how powerful he is in those situations with us as our savior, as our only king. The other powerful um, allusion here is Isaiah 43. He's literally showing them Isaiah 43. I'll just read a couple of verses and you, you can just see it. Isaiah 43, God says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One. I am your Savior. This is what the Lord says. He who has made a way through the sea, a pathway through the waters. You are my witnesses. You are my servants that I have chosen so that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he, I am your only savior. That's Isaiah 43. And, and Mark shows us what Jesus is doing here. Jesus walks through the sea. He's trampling the seas. He shows them himself and he says, don't be afraid, it is I. Take heart. So the most powerful way that Jesus comes to our rescue is to show his glory to us in the midst of our difficulties. He shows us his power. He comes to us in the storm, and he enables us to keep moving on the journey. 
And that's, that's the lesson, as, as we m- reflect on this, the, the, this scene, we have to learn to see that our greatest need in the middle of the storms is to realize that there is a Savior who is over the storm, who is working in miraculous ways that we are not even aware of. To know that he loves us, to know that he is coming, and to know that our need is not just for him to remove the storms, our need is for him to teach us to see him in the middle of those storms and to be equipped to continue to be his faithful disciples in the middle of those difficulties. That's what we need to learn to ask for, and that's where where we learn to see him and to see his power. So his intention was to pass them by, to show his glory, to show them that he is the king who tramples the waves. But the story takes an interesting twist at the end. It doesn't end as we might want to expect it to end, right? He doesn't actually fulfill that full intention that we, would, that we would expect. Now, the expected outcome that we want to see is like, wow, Jesus does this, right? And they're like, oh my goodness, you are the king, the Lord. We bow down to you. We are encouraged. We're saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? Overcome by joy, wonder, peace, right? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out and all saw him and were terrified. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So, so the word astounded can mean two things, right? Oh yeah, they were astounded, he, they're amazed. But Mark chooses to use this moment to put the spotlight on a deeper, darker weakness inside their hearts. Their hearts were hardened, and they did not understand about the loaves. So, as we have seen, the big, one of the big themes here is Jesus' compassion. The other big theme here is the weakness of the disciples. In the situation with the loaves, they came to him saying, Jesus, we have a problem. We need to let these people go and get some food. And he's like, you give them something to eat. And they, they, didn't, they didn't exercise faith. They didn't see that he wants to equip them to do the miracle. So he still performs the miracle. But here Mark shows that as they were amazed by the miracle, they still failed to connect the miracle back to the miracle worker. They still failed to see who Jesus was at the very center of these events, what he was trying to show them about himself. They missed the point their hearts were hardened. Now, that's a very interesting way to describe them because if you look at Mark, the only time Mark uses this word, hardened hearts, before is, I think, in chapter three, and he's talking about the Pharisees. He uses that same word, hard hearts, and he's referring to people who refuse Jesus. Now, obviously, here, they're not refusing Jesus and they're not abandoning him, But clearly what Mark wants to do at the end of this story is to put up kind of a warning sign or a red flag to the reader and say, just because these guys are with Jesus in the boat witnessing all the miracles does not secure the fact that they are his disciples and they are set. There is still a danger in their hearts. There is still a, a danger for them to miss the point of who he really is. There's still a danger for them to not come out as true disciples. When we kind of connect it to the Exodus story, it's also pretty alarming, right? He says hard hearts. Well, who's the guy with the hard heart in the Exodus story? It's Pharaoh. So what Mark is trying to 
highlight here is that real faith and real discipleship is not a product of you just coming along for the ride. Just because I'm a Christian, I go to church, I do the whole Christian thing, I read my Bible, and I'm good. Mark, Mark, is, Mark is showing us that, that Jesus sees that real discipleship, real, the real process of walking the Christian life and following Jesus is a conscious decision. It is a conscious reality on the part of the disciple to submit, to follow, to believe in Jesus. It is not something that is guaranteed automatically just because you show up and you call yourself a Christian. It's a daily choice. It's a daily challenge to follow Jesus, to believe who he is in the midst of very difficult situations where our emotions are telling us one thing, our mind is telling us another. Mark is kind of saying, you know, these guys are with Jesus, but it could still go both ways. They could still end up betraying him. And guess what? One of them did, right? One of them who witnessed all these amazing miracles still ended up being a servant of Satan. And so it's a sobering moment. Jesus comes in this glorious moment, right, to, to reveal his glory as the glory of the Lord of the Old Testament who conquers the waves. And then Mark just kind of like, but they didn't get it. And it's a lesson as we walk away for us to ask ourselves, what kind of disciple am I? What, what is my relationship to this Jesus? Do I believe? Do I submit? Do I actually follow him? Have I renounced my ways? And, and, and have, I, have I consciously made that a fact that I am a follower of this king? I am not building my own little kingdom. I am a disciple of the one true king, and he is coming back. And even though I feel different things on different days, and I have struggles, and I have doubts, he is the king that I follow. Mark is trying to point us that real discipleship is not an automatic thing. But there's another little feature here. He's pointing that real discipleship is not automatic, but also we see that Jesus gets into the boat and he calms the sea and they carry on. In this moment of weakness, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He sees their weakness and he sees their frailty, but he doesn't cast them out and say, that's it, you're not disciples anymore, you missed the point. I just, I just put on an image for you guys. I put on a, a show for you guys to show you who I am in such a vivid and amazing way. How could you not see what I just did, right? He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He, he, he performs one of the most amazing miracles, and yet when he sees that they are terrified half to death and miss the point, he turns and he comes and says, don't worry, it's me. I'm not a ghost. And they carry on. He does not judge them because he understands also while faith is a choice, faith is also a process. And he understands that. Jesus understands that these men are just exhausted and tired out of their wits and he is compassionate. He leads them. He works with them. And, and I think as we're reading and, and finishing the story, we're like, well, what a waste, right? Like, Jesus just put on this amazing picture for them, but they missed it. What a waste. What a wasted moment. We know it's not a waste because although in this moment they didn't see it, <clears throat> the memory of this image was lodged in their hearts, right? And their faith as a process kept growing. And you can bet that even though <clears throat> they missed this point, each of those disciples came back to that moment numerous times in their life, numerous storms that they faced, 
They remember that moment when they missed the point. And this miracle, it fed their faith over and over and over. It feeds our faith today. It fed their faith as they retold this. Likely it was Peter who was one of the sources for Mark. Faith is a process. It's a journey. Jesus understands that and he has compassion. He knows we are weak. He doesn't cast us out when we stumble and fall and fail to trust him properly. He's working with us. As John Piper uh, once said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life through this moment. You may be aware of only three of them. He's working in many, many ways to strengthen and empower your faith. In the moment of difficulty, that is really hard to, to embrace, and that's really difficult for us to believe. But when we look at this story, we are encouraged and reminded that Jesus is working in a thousand ways. He knows that we are weak disciples, and he has compassion on that too. Your ability, your, your ability to call yourself a, a follower of Jesus does not hinge on the perfection of your performance in your faith. It hinges on the perfection and performance of him who died for you, the one on whom your faith rests. So he has patience with us. He, he works with us. And when we stumble and we feel like we are weak and we can't see what's in the next two steps, he knows that and he's right there and he works with us. He teaches us. And, he's, and, and, and this is supposed to give us strength and confidence even in the middle of those difficult times when we know he's doing things. Sometimes you, all you can do is hold on for dear life and just say, Lord, help me through this trial. I don't know, wh I don't know what you're doing, but please just help me through this trial, right? Those, that we all face those moments. When we, we need to remember in those moments that he is doing a thousand things. So hang on to that promise. Hang on to the promise that he is working, that he is strengthening you, that he is building you. Uh, there's, a, there's a song that um, is uh, written by an artist named Krista Wells, one of my favorite songs. I mean, like, this song, it's like one of those songs that I come back to over and over and over, but <coughs> she, she actually wrote this song in response to that John Piper quote that I quoted earlier. And she says this, and she kind of captures this moment, this struggle and this need for us to have this promise. She says, you're gonna cry yourself to sleep. You're gonna soak the pillows for many weeks. You're gonna cry, why, why me? But in spite of the ache that doesn't go away, You'll be sharing your story one rainy day, and at the next table, somebody catches your words. Here's a truth that he's never heard. He takes it back to the marriage he'd given up on and hands it down to his daughter who writes it into song. You didn't know. And then she says, a thousand things are happening in this one thing, like a thousand fields nourished by a single drop of rain. So wrap yourself in promise while you wait the morning light. A thousand things are happening tonight. So when we realize that our Savior knows, and he knows we're weak, and he knows that he is working with us, that gives us something to hold on to in the midst of the storms, even when we can't see past the waves that are crashing right in front of us. So as we're finishing up and reflecting, just a couple of things that we want to pull ourselves, pull away with, with uh, as, as we're reflecting on the story, right? We want to learn to climb that mountain every day. We need, we need the presence of the Savior in our lives. We, we sang the song earlier today, give me Jesus. Above all things, give me Jesus, right? We need to see, the, we need to cultivate this confidence that he sees and he comes in the challenges. He's a Savior who, who has a deep heart of compassion, and we know that because he saw and he came on the cross. 
We need to repent of our hard-heartedness. So often we miss the point, just like the disciples. He does miracles in our lives. He answers prayers, and we move on forgetting that he answered those prayers. We're just delighting in the changed circumstances. Following Jesus is an everyday task. It's an everyday commitment. And we need to learn to patiently and humbly, humbly invite him to, to grow our faith. We fail, we stumble, and we stand back up, not because we're so great and perfect, but because he loves us every day and he's working with us. And he forgives, he cleanses, he washes, and he's doing a lot more things with us in every moment than we realize. So as we're, as we're going through this week, we want to remember that Jesus is present. He's present more than we would ever even imagine. And that gives us strength and confidence in him as we face the trials. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the king of the raging seas, Lord. We thank you that, that you are so much bigger than we can imagine, but also at the same time, you are so much more infinitely present than we can ever even wish and know, Lord. You know our own hearts better than we know our own hearts, and you love us more than we can ever even fathom, Lord. We thank you that you work miracles in our lives that we aren't even aware of. And we also ask that you teach us, that you open our eyes, that, that, you, that you convict our hardened hearts, and you teach us to look around and to see you working in the midst of our storms, Lord. Help us to not miss the point. Help us to see your glory as you pass by us every day in compassion and wonder and, 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 and strength as you work, as you save people around us, as you change hearts around us, as you work on our own hearts, Lord. As you, as you show yourself in scripture in our times of prayer and meditation, Lord, Help us to see your glory. Help us to not miss it. And grow our faith, we ask, that you, that, you, that you strengthen us, that you lead us and guide us, Lord. In those difficult moments, help us to remember this, that you, that you are really working a thousand things through one miracle, through one act. You are, you are furnishing, strengthening our faith. You are fueling our souls, Lord. You are the one who, who is king, but you are the one who loves us infinitely, Lord. We thank you for that. Amen.